Welcome to Podcast on Fire on My Lucky Stars and Warriors 2. And after a successful outing with Winners and Sinners, the comedic and somewhat lecherous gang dubbed the Lucky Stars return in My Lucky Stars. With Sammo at the helm as in director, the formula generated another box office hit. And we'll find out how this action comedy fares in our eyes. And in fact, we got our Sammo directing double bill brewing here. In the second half, we feature his first step of crafting martial arts cinema centering around Wing Chun and 1978's Warriors 2 will also be reviewed therefore with me Kennedy and as I call him even if he doesn't call himself that I'm with martial arts expert martial arts practitioner and in general information expert Mike Maley so that's the way I see you by the way so welcome thank you very much I wouldn't get as far as the expert bit but you know probably take me another 50 years to get to that stage so but thank you uh right buddy let's uh let's get into it uh one of the earliest recordings of uh, 2017 and uh, to let you listen in on a little something here that it doesn't say anything about either me and mike and our creative habits and uh, our respective lives but uh, this is a retake of an episode we already recorded in may 2016 <laughs> so it took a while for us to get together in front of mics again for a number of reasons scheduling being being probably the reason and it's still the hardest thing about podcasting so uh, we've done this show we we, we feel it we uh, so uh, we we have it in us to deliver it twice so um that's uh that says something about our working habits too that we keep good notes so we can just sort of reread our notes and rewatch one of the movies maybe and we are ready once more for the show so um uh did you do that as a matter of fact did, did, did you keep your old notes old notes or did you scrap the whole scrap the whole thing i've managed to find a few that i've made so i'm using those and the rest of it's going to be off the top of my head and from memory so i'll apologize now like who's jackie chan i have to look him up in my notes <laughs> like uh memory's failing you in 2017 no 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 uh and and i know you can pull things out of uh, uh out of the memory bank quite effectively let's get to it uh, some contact information before we get my the my lucky stars review out of the way I, 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 by the way since then i've watched like at least one uh, out of the series um uh, compared to when we did it in may i watched the uh, lucky stars go places um uh, between then and now so i have i, I can like put that context in my notes uh, but anyway this is podcast on fire on the podcast on fire network we are located on podcast and the show you're listening to covers uh, hong kong cinema of uh, the olden times and some uh, newer efforts as well we also do shows on korean cinema uh, we do audio commentaries and japanese cinema talk taiwanese cinema talk and ninja talk and even sleazy movies uh, type of talk and uh, you can pick your show from the right hand side colorful buttons that we provide for you on podcastonfire.com if you have any questions or feedback we would love to hear from you uh, our email address is podcastonfire at googlemail.com we have the handy buttons leading to our social media at the top of our website first button is the facebook one that will lead you to our page so leave a like in support we would very much appreciate that and you can also find our discussion group where we do most of our interactions uh, and show updates uh, it, it's called podcast on fire network uh, in all simplicity so well come in and join the good-natured uh, banter that is going on over there and click the twitter button to reach our twitter feed the itunes button to uh, uh, end up at our itunes feed so if you are an itunes user subscribe leave a star rating and even a written comment uh, that would also be very much appreciated and finally stitcher radio is the is the final button uh, that's uh, leads that leads you to their website presence where you can stream our shows but you can also do that on the go if you download uh, the free application from the apple app store or google play 
and I write about the variety of Hong Kong and Taiwanese movies of um, the sort of like exploitation kind, ninja kind, uh, specific eras out of Taiwanese cinema, but also review a variety of genres in a sort of quick form over at SoGoodReviews.com. I post uh, basic video reviews of my main written material at SleazyKVideo.com and my Twitter handle is at SoGoodReviews. And you, you have a blog up there, Mike. Um, you had any time to put, uh, put some text, uh, text down or you, you merely, uh, you merely, so to say, uh, training physically out in the real life, uh, mostly. Pretty much the training, mate. I haven't had a chance to update it for quite a while. So, uh, it's just getting the time, to be honest. You know, you know, it is. Yeah, very much so. You have to focus on what you have, uh, what's in your heart, I suppose. And um, I mean, you're, you're dedicated to your training, and you certainly have a, you're living a life as we all do. So, uh, but uh, hey, that doesn't mean that if you pick it up tomorrow, that it will be, that it will uh, lack in, uh, be lacking in relevance. Because uh, no. so uh, it's a, it's a material you cover is material for the ages, like reviews of instructional videos and things like that, or highlighting yeah. instructional videos and techniques. So. Um, that's not fodder for 2016 only, obviously. So uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, so, uh, but uh, regardless, uh, we'll uh, we'll take a musical break then, and obviously uh, I should be able to find my Lucky Stars theme somewhere in my Lucky Stars and from 1985. So that's the review, and uh, we'll be back in 30 seconds or so. So welcome back, and the first review of this episode is retake is My Lucky Stars from 1985, a plot from the Far East Films review of the film. Muscles, played by Jackie Chan and Ricky, played by Yun Biu, are two Hong Kong policemen sent to Japan to serve an extradition order on a dangerous criminal, played by Lam Qingying. When the bust goes wrong and the criminal escapes with Ricky as hostage, Muscles is left with no way to get close to the gang without being recognized. To get around this dilemma... He decides to enlist the help of his old orphanage buddies to uh, help bring the criminals to justice, despite them having no police training whatsoever. Dirty guys. Uh, the gang consists of fatherly figure Rawhide, played by Stanley Fung, a womanizing herb, played by Charlie Chin, insane Sandy, played by Richard Ng, portly kid stuff, played by Sam Hung, our director, and the physical and emotional, well, well, they sort of, uh, yeah, they use him as a punching bag. Yeah, Roundhead, the character played by Eric Tsang. Uh, that's the gang. And after a little crafty blackmail, the gang all agreed to help. But will their amateur skills be good enough for a little detective work? Or will their childish jokes blow their cover wide open? I know when watching these movies that the names differ between the movies like uh, I've read like Sam Hung's character has been referred to as Hardhead in some versions of the film so uh, but kid stuff has been used um, at least two or three times so um, I'm going with that but at any rate we do some short opinions first of all before we dive uh, into the review and Mike uh, your short take first of all on My Lucky Stars 
It's an enjoyable action comedy. I mean, it's it's not my favourite out of the series. I, it, if I did that, it'd be Twinkle Twinkle. But but this but this is good. It's it's got some uh, it's got some really nice action scenes in it. It's got the slapstick comedy between this group of horny guys who are, 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 are helping out, like Jackie Chan and you and you. And it's it, it's got some good. And Richard always makes me laugh anyway. He's really funny. And Eric Sang does as well. They're, they're really good comedic actors. It's a step down, though, for me, compared to Winners and Sinners. I thought the Winners and Sinners was really, oh, wow, they hit upon something here. But it's decent entertainment and the parade of action performers are present for the very sparse action. It's not actually a wall-to-wall action. They all get the job done, but the, the main core for me, the comedic core, is not firing as much as Winners and Sinners. It's it's kind of a mediocre film for me in between. Um, and most of the effort that I approve of, personally, is provided by the action team. But, I mean, it is acceptable, quick entertainment for the masses, but a step down from Winners and Sinners, and um, that still remains my favorite out of the Lucky Stars movies. But I, I haven't seen Twinkle and Twinkle Lucky Stars yet, so uh, um, I'm, I might as well ask that. Any memories of uh, Winners and Sinners in particular, if we're talking the first um, and but but why is Twinkle Twinkle your favorite? Because isn't there, isn't it all the same sort of scenario again? Horny guys in action. Yeah, but but the action's just exceptional in uh, Twinkle Twinkle. In my opinion, it's just astounding. Some superb high falls from Chingarlock and just just the fighting in it's just great. Is it more than, for instance, in My Lucky Stars? Because we don't get a lot actually. Or is it so, so sort of the same amount? It's the same amount, but but the the quality of it is just outstanding. And Richard Norton's in it as well, so it's it's got that uh, that that connection to uh, the earlier film with him in. But but what do you remember like seeing Winners and regardless if you saw Winners and Sinners first, but it is the first like a Stars movie. Um, any particular memories of it? Did you feel like oh my, they collected like a good cast for comedy and some action here? Or what's your spontaneous memories of Winners and Sinners? Yeah, ex- exactly what you just said. I've got to be honest, it's been a long time since I've watched it, so it's uh, it's there's only little bits that stick out in my mind, like the action scenes, you know, Jackie on his skates going under the truck. And Richard Um's bum as well, because that's the one where he's running around naked thinking he's invisible. That was funny as well. So it's, uh, But as I said, it's a bit, it's been, a, been about 10 years since I watched it, so it's been quite a long time. I, I thought it was, um, I watched it for the first time for a show that we did maybe three years ago or something. Um, uh, but uh, I thought it was funny and charming and I think the cast largely, largely gelled. I've seen some of the latter My Lucky Stars or Lucky Stars movies before that one. So I knew sort of what the deal was. Uh, but, but I thought there was some, inspir- some inspiring chem- uh, comedy and action and uh, chemistry that is important with a group effort certainly was there. The latter movies that I've seen, such as Lucky Stars Go Places, which is the one where they sort of replace everyone, they're in it. But the main gang is a new Lucky Stars gang. But I, 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 I dislike that movie he- heavily when it comes to the Lucky Stars portions. However, the Aces Go Places crossover portions that largely involved Carl Macca and Samo. That was excellent. And it has a tremendous action ending. But my god were they raping in that one. They were just openly saying to those guys, hi, I'd like to rape you now. Yeah. Like the other movies, it has that. My Lucky Stars has that as well. But that one just placed it on Front Street in a very like, ooh, 
come on reel it in at the very least but uh, I, I remember seeing ghost punting was probably one of the first ones i saw just one of those like i have a vcd somewhere oh it's oh it's i'll recognize all of those guys without recognizing it's a gang uh the gang assembled for a movie again okay uh, and and had some good action i mean it still was 92 or whatever so it's at best okay, uh, not the best. And How to Meet the Lucky Stars was a 1996 movie or something like that. Uh, I think it was a charity movie, um, mostly surrounding gambling. So it, I don't remember any rapey vibe or anything like that from it. But they're all funny. I mean, a prime example, you can have Richard Um be there for one minute, do one silly thing, and I'll laugh for a week. Because he, he had that sort of silly deadpan way about him. Richard wasn't isn't uh, this uh, big grating loud performer he's very he's very like dry and deadpan and uh mixed with a little bit of silliness when when he does his silly smile but richard never did the whole like annoying grating hong kong comedy thing which is such a key for this series and also whenever he did did comedy whether for the hoy brothers or you know stepping into wheels on meals and uh, for his uh, cameo there so uh, always um Always a winner. It's a 1985 movie, so I, I think, think one of the most enjoyable aspects of the movie is that everybody was around. That's why you can recognize from frame one uh, main players and background players. It's all like uh, like like the bell goes off, like ding 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 ding. I've seen Jackie, I've seen Yun Bu, I've seen Lam Ching Ying, I've seen Lao Gaoing here in Japan and all of that. So I, I don't know about you, Mike, but I sometimes that's like a shameful or shameless comfort factor. That everybody's in it. Like, at least I'll have fun spotting guys. You know what I mean? I think it's virtually most of the films made during that period. They've all got the same guys, especially when Sam has been involved. Even something like Police... Yes, Madam, Police Assassins, even though, uh, you know, most of the supporting actors, you've seen them in the uh, this film previously and films that followed on. So it's uh, they've got a small pool, really, haven't they, of action actors, but, but, but the... The, the quality of them is uh, exceptional. Yeah, they, they certainly hurt themselves for our pleasure, uh, some of them, or even most of them. Um, um, you know, working with Sam or that, that that's almost a given that it's going to, it looks powerful, it's going to feel, uh, you're going to feel it to an extent. Uh, <laughs> uh, but but it, it opens up with car stunt action in Japan. Yeah. And if I give you my brief take on it, I think uh, the opening is uh, one of the strongest uh, portions of the movie because it's like breezy but quality car stunts, but uh, they got like quality leaps over a truck, uh, yes. the car lands in uh, in lane mid-traffic and all of that, so I think yeah. uh, that's all enjoyable. Uh, any personal notes on car stunts or the whole um, uh, carnival sequence that involves uh, stunts and fights? It's 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 a day out it with a bang and it's uh it 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 has got some really good stunt working as you said with the car I I'm not sure who it was I would have thought it might be our old mate Blackie Cow that would uh, be responsible for that because that was one of his uh, specialties even even the bit with with the you know the the theme car the theme park the fairground there's some nice uh high, there's a nice high fall in it from old jackie who lands it looks like he's at his ankle when he lands because he seems to stumble a bit and then carries on running you know i'm, su- I'm surprised because it's it's always one of those things where it's obviously they've put that in to to get the japanese market involved oh yeah because because if you doubt that this was shot in japan 
there's a big old shot of Yumbio and with Mount Fuji in the background. Yeah. Like, yep, yeah. yep, we know they're yeah. there. It's not green screen, they're there. <laughs> yeah, and just to make sure they've thrown some ninjas in as well for good measure, so you can't. Uh... Early to mid to late eighties, the the whole ninja ninja phase was there, so obviously that's a nod to that as well. Yeah, it's a little. It's it has a cool absurd, um, like like content here because uh, we have one eyed villains and uh, either Lam Ching Ying or Lao Gaoing um, is uh, wearing the eye patch, right? Slave so, yeah, and it's sort of okay, okay, I, I'm I'll go with it. Like it's it's quality quality stuff, and uh, Jackie in its prime here. Uh, and I don't mean for this to sound offensive, but the way he climbs climbs the Ferris wheel, the way he you know climbs anything, whether you talk police story, where he jumps the gate, he's like a monkey man, and it's so incre- He seems so incredibly light. It's uh, yes, you don't do this in one take. And over and over, and uh, but when he does get it right, it's just like the man defies gravity. Uh, he was just on the ground, man, up, up, and uh, at an absurd level, height. All of a sudden, <laughs> I can't get enough of that stuff because it's almost throwaway because it's so quick. He, it's not one of those stunts that Jackie did that requires our attention when he jumps from the railing in police story and down the pole. That is an attention stunt. This is a stunt where I think I'll run up there. Okay, and you you got to admire that. I do. I mean, s- several years ago, I, I had an incident where I had to leave. I had to dive over a small fence, and in my mind, I I I, I imagined myself doing it a la Jackie Chan. But unfortunately, I ended up doing it a la Orson Welles, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it was quite painful. I mean, it's not just him; the entire the entire main cast, really, the especially the action guy, the action actor guys, are there physical peak really mm-hmm. and that's obvious as you said with the way jackie just climbs up things and leaps over things and jumps off things and there's that really good scene with you as one when he does that backflip off that bin over these these guys just it's it's it, it's that's the reason why well we all love like hong kong cinema so much just because the action is so top notch which is why it took quite a few years but hollywood started to imitate that because that's what people want really do you think personally when you see yumbu do these leaps or like the triple kick thingy that he does in twinkle twinkle i, I i've seen a clip uh, of yeah. that do you think that comes easy to him i mean the, the, the timing of the actual thing is hard but do you think it comes easy to him at the height of his abilities is he that uh, flexible like on the go after some warm-up uh, what do you think when you see someone as acrobatic uh, as that uh, yeah, yeah, it was. With I mean, thing is, is well, these guys were extremely fit. Yeah, that, I mean, obviously the Peking Opera guys trained from such a young age. Yeah, they all smell like chimneys as well. So, <laughs> so, so the thing you see all these, these like you, you see all your movie stills in between. They're all smoking fags and all this sort of stuff. So they are in peak physical condition, and the heavy smokers. So that says a lot about them. But I think Yoon Bu. I mean, we, we all know he was the go-to guy to double for people. Because he was just so athletic and acrobatic, and he's, uh, some of the things he pulls off are just astounding. Do 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 you need to train for life to maintain that level? You think um, because um, he, he makes it look so absurdly easy for him. Thing is, 
they've trained from such a young age and then they've gone into the film industry and I've got a big, a big point, you know, a, a big cue down there for Samo because he got all these guys in working in these films at the start. And if it wasn't for him, I don't think they'd have the same amount of... Uh, certain members wouldn't have the same amount of fame. I wouldn't have thought so if it wasn't for Samo getting them in. But... Because they've trained at such a young age and it's not like they've done all this training and then they've gone to work like in an office or whatever. They've gone into this industry and they're constantly doing exactly what they trained for when they were kids. So they're still training all the way through whether they're making these films or not. They've still got to rehearse all the choreography and all the stunts. Yeah, it's good practical training, I suppose, rather than prep for what possibly is coming uh, because they were they were all keeping busy even if not all ac- movies required same amount of action uh, this one is certainly more on the comedic side rather than 10 cent set pieces or or anything like that um, but i think it's enjoyable it's it, it's not reference action from from either performer here but it's all a, an enjoyable sort of absurd opening okay we got ninjas and one idea as well das- dazzle me with sort of a free-for-all frame here but uh, we we cut to Walter Cho, who's the mainstay of the movie. He's like a uh, well, he's always a police officer of some some kind. But uh, I don't think he had his uh, trademark uh, trench coat and fedora. And this one, I think he played a police officer. And uh, there, there, there's a wonderful side gag where Walter is uh, is in charge of twenty different phone lines from different countries. So uh, which is a nice reveal when uh, when we uh, see that. Uh, and uh, it's also serious, by the way, Mike, that you shouldn't uh, look for continuity necessarily. They, they change sort of their uh, both names depending on the version you watch, but it seems like they're not their main skill. This rather lecherous gang is not the same from movie to movie. I, I don't remember Charlie Chin being a thief necessarily in Winners and Sinners, but it's one of those things like don't look for continuity. Um, and uh, it, it's just a gang uh, assembled again doing what the gang does rather than having established stories uh, throughout the... Uh, the, the, the only one who has a through line, of course, is Richard, because each and every movie requ- uh, has him trying on some different kind of skill and usually being convinced he is doing it right. But usually... Uh, but 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 usually he's rather crap at it. <laughs> well, for this one, isn't it, uh, where he uh, he thinks he uh, he's uh, working on his um, uh, extrasensory powers? Mind control, that's it, yeah. So it's like doing his hand movements, like lay an egg, lay an egg, try and lay an egg, and later he's trying to like um, get in between two people who are fighting or arguing, make peace with each other, make peace with each other, like doing like forward hand motions, which is adorable and hilarious, and uh, it's it's all like automatic, shamelessly automatic, but in a way it's uh, it's also uh, you you gotta be the performer to sell that and Richard certainly is he's not this uh, monkey that you just push and he does it brilliantly but uh, you know you had to, you have to do it well yeah well well we meet Richard by the way that was my point in a mental hospital stroking a duck and uh, it, it's like it inspired intro because Richard is always inspiring and I'm wondering if they're referencing back ever so slightly to Wheels on Meals to Wheels on Meals because he played a mental patient in that he one He did, too. yeah. I think there's, there is a little dig there, yeah, that there's got to be of him, uh, as you said, previously being an inmate of a mental institution. And, uh, I remember like Wheels on Meals, I like, I just think it's a way too long movie, but uh, his, his things are wonderful, especially in the English dub because he sounds like this. Richard Henry sounds like this. I think Tom was saying he sounds like either Ren or Stimpy. I don't remember which one had that voice, but it's sort of uh, uh, it's sort of um, some creative dubbing for once by by Hong Kong dubbers. So. 
Yeah, you do sound like that. That's exactly right. I'd forgot about that. <laughs> and so, so yeah, you know, initially the the atmosphere is entertaining. Where you know the gang when they were assembling Winners of Sin, it it was on paper at least a concept that could work. We know one would steal the show comedically, uh, Richard Um in this case, and uh, but for me it petered out, man. It's just it, the more they became, you know, infatuated with Sibel Who and all wanting to bed her and just digging that well. And rightly so. Well, yeah, but there's a point where that isn't funny anymore. And uh, there's a point where they as men should realize that enough's enough. You know, Uh, but yeah, I I know I'm sounding like offended, but I I, I just didn't think it was funny to do it over and over again. Um, uh, But but it was worse in Lucky Stars Go Places, I I, I don't mind saying, because just was way too pronounced. Like, uh, I remember like guys who you think are nice in movies, like... um, Anthony Chan was one of the new Lucky Stars members, and he like walks up to Maria Tung in that movie, and um, I like I dreamt of raping you, so I just wanted to say that, and like, what are you talking about? Like, that's not smooth talk or anything, dude. It is another thing about these films, whether it's a, like the traditional set kung fu films or not. It's that very, very unpolitically correct. Yeah. Humor that throughout these films, and the view said he goes up to it. Oh, I had a dream about raping you. It was great. No, no, it isn't. And it's, it's. I think for Western audiences, that's something. As you said, we find it quite shocking. But I suppose that, but for the local audiences, it's something that they come to expect. I can laugh at the lowest, like concept humor, but I, you know, give me a raspberry sound, and I'll, I'll, I'll laugh my tits off. But it's sort of, you have to bring a certain energy to it. And I thought the guys here weren't inspired enough to to make that continually work. Uh, like I have some examples of the thing, like the the lengths they go to to uh, to bed her and whatever. And in Winners and Sinners, for some reason, I don't remember a lot of that. I mean, yes, they were all sort of oogling and were at the Sherry Chung, and uh, for good reason. <laughs> but in the end, there was a sort of um, Sammo and her her character. They were sort of getting on like halfway into the movie, so it was a little bit sweet. Right, so um, I remember that being more enjoyable. Uh, again, I might have forgotten like tons of lecherous jokes in that one, but uh, my memory is greater and more positive uh, in that uh, in that movie. But when we get those um, extended scenes in uh, you know in hotels and bedrooms with the guys working with Sibelu and working uh, doing their best to bed her, it, you know it goes on for long, and they have and they put together sort of plans to play burglars uh, to protect her and all of that. What's your take on that? Like, is it just the right amount of silliness, or do you think they go overboard? Like, put aside the lecherous thing because the burglar gag goes on for long. They, uh, they like, is there any re- is there any repeat the gag magic here? I think the burglar scene went on too long. I think I should have done a, done a couple, and then you'd have got the gist, and then that that would have been it. But it just, I think it laboured the point a bit too much. Yeah, because they're not doing their best to hide the fact that they're changing roles, right? You you can essentially see them, and you know when Eric Tsang especially is playing the burglar, right? <laughs> because no no one sounds like him, and no one is as small <laughs> as him either. Yeah, and it's almost almost like they put the balaclavas on more sloppily each time. Right, where <laughs> so you see more and more of their faces. Uh, uh, I do agree; it goes on for long because it's it, it's all in that name of you know wooing and trying to get uh, you know better, and, and uh, that transparent wooing routine sort of gets old. Uh, certainly in that scene now, uh, but but it is light entertainment. I mean, I get it, but but it doesn't have a breakout 
mode, I think, where where I went with it and uh, thought it was like delightful or anything. Uh, and and that means, by the way, Mike, they they are in no hurry to kickstart the plot because once they've assembled the men and the lady, then that's what they concern themselves with for a while. It's it's sort of classic Hong Kong cinema that we're okay. Let's fill it with with uh, flatulence gags or lecherous gags. I mean, it's not a long movie, but clearly they are not moving the plot forward for a good 20 minutes or, or whatever at that point. Um, and, and and since I thought they were mostly flat gags, that's why I reacted uh, to that, you know what I mean? It's probably the, the filmmakers done now that they've started it off with a bang. People now there's going to be a, an action scene finale. So that middle period between the two, they can do what they want basically and a lot of the time you know whether it's hit, hit or miss and most of the time it's going to be miss i mean there are some of the there are some funny scenes like the that made me chuckle and i still chuckle when i watch it you know and he he crashes into that that guy's bus and he gets yes. out he's got it's garlay with a like a a curly kevin keegan perm <laughs> and then and then all his mates turn up and they've all got these curly perms i thought that was quite <laughs> i thought that was quite funny yeah you know and there's little bits like but and I don't know whether it, we're looking at it from a Western perspective. If we were, you know, more native to Hong Kong, we wouldn't have a problem with it. Maybe it's just because our Western perception of how it should be should be done is probably affecting our views on it. I don't know. Yeah, well, it's, it's certainly there's an argument there that since we we can't understand the intricacies of dialogue, obviously, then we're, we're somewhat left behind. But I always think too that you can judge a movie. That if a movie isn't filled with verbal gags, then you can judge the movie enough. Uh, not not judge, but may um, form your own opinion. I do think one of the best gags for me, though, is amidst all of this, like, let's, let's, uh, we all want to fuck her. <laughs> but the one thing that is absolutely funny within all of this, they have a, they have a bet going on in terms of who gets the second bed. Because, uh, Sibel, who has, um, there's two beds in her room. So, I think Samo wins the bet. And then they cut to him dragging the mat- mattress out of her room and into the living area, right? Yeah. <laughs> there was no chance that she was going to agree to that, that a man would be sleeping in her room. So I think that was like... like clever, clever, sort of downplayed as well. Uh, he doesn't storm out of the room like, look at me, all I got was the mattress and I couldn't fuck her. So, you know, good on Samo for uh, for downplaying and some of that stuff, but uh, so uh, give listeners a little context, Mike. Uh, does Jackie appear all throughout the movie? No, <laughs> he doesn't. You see, I, I think it's an hour in before we get uh, some Jackie uh, Jackie appearance again, right? Yeah, I mean, he's at the start. Then you've got this. Yeah, he's got an hour in, then he reappears again, and of course, you know, in the in in the end sequence as well, to to a degree. What do you think, um, I mean, we've gone over this, but uh, it still might be someone's first uh, podcast listening to how, like, Samo worked with Jackie and Jackie worked with Samo. So uh, give the listeners a little uh, insight in terms of your opinion. What do you think happens when Jackie Chan performs action with Samo? Does it feel different from when he's, so to say, choreographing himself? You think, is there more power, less power kind of thing? Everybody knows my fears on this. He always looks top of his game when Samo choreographs him. I, I just think because Samo always brings a more brutal element into his choreography and Jackie always looks top dog in these in these films when, when Samo's directing the action. 
Yeah, Jackie's style was a little bit more balletic and a little bit more lighter. Obviously, he liked his juggling, uh, you know, juggling props and moving through the environment that way so smoothly. So th- th- that's why I always enjoyed that. We get a contrast to that where the the fights are fights a little bit more. And I'm not saying Jackie's style is bad or anything, but I love the contrast between this. Even in a light movie like Dragons Forever, there is an element of like, ooh, man, I haven't seen Jackie get hit that hard or get kicked that hard or hit that someone that hard or kicked someone that hard in a while like boom always enjoyable it never gets old and and we get that here with um when he uh i think he breaks jackie out of uh, uh you know he's kidnapped or something like that by this point yeah. but uh so quick and so powerful and it's such a fucking treat to see jackie directed by samo and uh you know because in samo's movies in particular during this time and certainly a bit into the 90s we expect the feel of people getting the shit kicked out of them because Samuel's choreography, whether they secured stuntmen or not, you know, with uh, wires and pads and padded environments, it still felt like they're all kicking the crap out of each other right now. And I love it. I, I enjoy them hurting themselves for my pleasure. I'm in full agreement. And I, and I think that's, that, that's uh, something that Samuel obviously brings to the table as you said before with jackie he's more balletic and he likes to juggle with things you know so the scenes like police stories juggling with the phone that adds a more brutal edge to it and i think i my favorite films of jackie's are the ones that he's in that, that somehow's directed i have to be honest mm-hmm. yeah i'd have to agree i mean if if Except though that I think Dragon Lord is my favorite uh, Jackie Chan movie because I, I I I'm not sure he's reached entertainment level like he did in Dragon Lord. I just think it's a wonderful film where and it, it's essentially that movie is about hurting hurting ourselves for our pleasure as well. The whole Bond finale is just crazy on uh, painful stunts with uh, with the guys in there. Yeah, so um, it, it's uh, I wrote a little bit, a bit, little bit about it yesterday, and I was like, gotta rewatch that right now because I love Dragon Lord to death, even better than the Young Master. Even though, like, like Dragon Lord, I don't think is as like because it it isn't as fight heavy, and it seems like it's more comedy. But there, there's some set pieces in that man, uh, the whole opening game, and 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 just in, it's a as one review said, it's a fine evening's viewing. It's just great entertainment and enjoyable. I'll I'll probably be uh, excommunicated from the podcast on Fire Network now, but I can't. I'm trying to remember the, which one's which now. What's the one when it starts off with the shuttlecock? Oh, well, it doesn't start off with a sh- uh, with a shuttlecock, but uh, they're, they're they're climbing a tower at the beginning of right, it. Right, that's it. Yeah, that's Dragon Lord. And in the middle of the movie, we get the whole shuttlecock sequence. That's in, that was uh, reportedly just insane on takes for the entire sequence, or insane on takes for a particular take or scene i've never gotten that confirmation if it was like one thing out of the whole scene that took hundreds of takes or if the total uh, amount of takes for the scene was hundreds and hundreds of takes but uh, for, for, for a scene that doesn't really matter <laughs> for the movie but it's wonderful after a while i started to sort of dislike seeing this group comedically on screen in my lucky stars i wasn't really interested i mean the whole ordering food uh, with the language barrier in the way so they use charades to sort of order food and they get food that looks like a penis and uh, that was funny that did make me chuckle though i have to be it just goes on for too long though i mean we i mean if two of the guys had had done that thing but they go around the effing table man uh, come on, like now it's Eric Sang's turn to order food and he gets like food that looks like a little penis because he probably has a little penis. Ha ha ha. It's it's all like 
move on. Was it on. something like sausages and he points to his crotch and the guy goes, and he comes back with this like little button mushroom thing. It was quite funny. But as you said, they laboured the point like the burglary bit rather than just have it as you said, a couple of guys, then the gag, job done, rather than everybody sitting around the table, then the gag. People are looking at the watches probably. If they would have kept it a little bit more limited, that, that would have been a, be- a better sequence because it, it is something you can chuckle at, but not for the entire sequence, though. Exactly right. So it's sort of weak comedically, scattershot in action, but but the action, like, like the action ending, it won't help the movie for me like to go up to four out of five territory, but they clinch and nail sequences, especially action. And obviously the end sequence, I don't have a lot of notes on it, but uh, obviously the end sequence with, with everybody involved uh, at the best of their abilities, but mostly our action guys, uh, foreground and uh, background players, is is really, you know, close to exceptional. I think you have that faith in Samo to, to deliver, and uh, it, he even has, a, you know, a little uh, bit in a haunted house setting, you know, uh, some color, before we get to the lair uh, that the finale is uh, contained in. And uh, I'll, I'll I'll stop right now and just ask you any particular highlights uh, from the finale uh, that I think everybody remembers from the movie, and, and, and rightly so. For portly middle-aged men like myself, I think Samo dressing in that yellow tracksuit with that base and haircut is exceptional. <laughs> and, he, you know, and he even makes somebody like me feel stylish. It's just the whole sequence. I mean, it's, you know... You, You've got the scene with uh, Michiko Nishiwaki when she comes out in a kimono and Sibelia is there to fight and she strips off and she's got these rippling muscles and Sibelia is like, oh shit, what am I going to do? And she just get a bit of a kick in. And then there's a good scene when she does it the, the same to Samo and he just smacks the one in the chops and knocks her out. Which it's I thought was quite it's wonderfully clever though because it's a build-up. I think she flexes and Samo is standing there. So you expect them to like trade, but it's just a uh, boom. Yeah. And I'm not advocating violence against women either. Normally in movies with Samo, people got like their butt kicked, you know, dun, 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 you know, multiple times. But here's one where let's sort of reverse expectations, really, and just go the unexpected route. And uh, we save a little bit of time on choreography, <laughs> I guess. And then and, and, uh, we don't need to tend to any bruises for this scene because it's just that doom. It's a, it's a very well handled scene. There's a nice little exchange with Jackie and Dickway as well. There's an exceptional scene when Samo's fighting Logarwing. Oh yeah, don't they? How many exchanges do these guys do in, in one shot? There's like twenty or so exchanges of boom, 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 boom. boom, boom. boom, boom. Yeah. My lord, I was so impressed by that because that and Samo knows that if something's off, then we're doing that thing again. Yeah. You know, it's it's got to be done right because it's got to feel right. And I thought I was inspired uh, the way they just went on and on and on. And the camera captured it great, greatly and perfectly. And, and and a lot of cool falls as well. I think there's, some of the guys take uh, falls for us as well because it's a two-story sort of set. Yeah, It doesn't erase uh, what I dislike about the comedy, but it's certainly a sequence that stands out in, you know, the... Hall of Fame of uh, 80s action cinema. This stands out, but not really thanks to the lucky stars in full. I don't remember the other guys doing much here because most of them are not martial arts trained. So it's it's you may you remember more Jackie, Samo, as you said, Dick Way, uh, Michiko Nishiwaki, uh, Lao Gawain. Don't remember Eric Tsang and Stanley Fung and them doing any any comedic martial arts for the ages. Not really. Don't remember. 
it's just little. I remember little posing, posing, using like dragon style stuff, and it's uh, just just the point that's popped in. Uh, I, I think the Holy Falls. I think with Garlock. the bit when somehow kicks Lego Wing through that glass table. Mm-hmm. I think that's Garlock, because remember an interview he said his head hit the frame as he went. Oh through no! The, uh, yeah. Like he he has been burnt and hit and fallen and he's still with us and uh you know wow wasn't he the guy who broke his like leg well it looks like he broke he looked like he broke his legs on Heart of the Dragon the the, the stunt that went wrong oh yeah when he jumps out and misses the car yeah that one. and and yeah, I think yeah. I saw in the outtakes them carrying out Chinkalok uh, yeah. if my memory's right so Jesus that that guy was on. Fire, literally, in the 80s, and hit pavement and frames and crap. He does a really good high fall in uh, Twinkle Twinkle. He's on, like, pa- it's like paragliding back mm-hmm. and about, and he releases the harnesses, and he must drop. It's got to be about 25 metres. got to be quite a high in, in, into, like, water. So it's, it's quite a quite an imp- I, I think he was the... <laughs> right, we need a stunt, something to do, that possibly might kill you or maim you for life. Uh Garlock, do you want to do it? Yeah, it's like that sort of situation. You'll get two rice boxes today if you do it. <laughs> and and a and a boot under the chin in Eastern Condors as well. Yeah. Uh, doubling for Yumbu. Yumbu said, "Nope, nope, not doing it. Not doing it. No, 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 no." Garlock, we've already set him on fire. He can do it. Yeah, he's he just and I think he doubles for Dick White at the end of this, you know, when Jackie, I think Jackie sweeps him and he goes over a balcony and hits the floor, and I think that might have been him as well because he seemed to be like the main high fall guy or the extremely dangerous studs. You you should never like look down on their efforts and and the action efforts are top notch. It's just the comedic effort is so and so. For some reason, I don't think Samo came off as terrible in comedically in terms of him being like super lecherous and rapey it's the other guys mostly yeah. but uh, my memory might be shot because i like like i'm looking at samo through rose tinted glasses and stuff like that he can do no wrong we know samo can't do wrong have you seen don't give a damn you made me laugh there mate because i'm just thinking isn't that another hong kong comedy uh called uh a, a, a buddy cop movie, super letterous and rapey. I don't know. I bet there is. I bet there is. If you if you translate the Chinese title literally, you might get something like that from another movie. Oh, but uh, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm out of notes, buddy. Uh, anything else you want to say? No, that's it. Just that the stunt work in this is as the usual high standard. Uh, and I'll, I'll get to Twinkle Twinkle uh, eventually. Um, for uh, probably doing your work, so to say, to to do it during this show, that's a good excuse to to get to it because I've heard good things. Obviously, I know Rich. There was Richard's uh, first Hong Kong movie, and uh, he's got yeah. that scene uh, with uh, Sam. Sam has got uh, tennis rackets uh, fighting against Richard Norton, I think, and he does that flip off the table. That's amazing. <laughs> or is that a different one? It's oh god! I'll tell you something, mate. I'm getting so bad at remembering people's names. Well, maybe it's not Samuel, but but it's Samuel's character in that. Uh, in, he uses in that the scene. tennis rackets against oh god, the Japanese guy. He uses him in loads of films. What's his name? Uh, Yasuaki Karata. Yeah, Yasuaki Karata's got two uh, sides. So somehow grabs a pair of tennis rackets. Ah, gotcha, and, uh, gotcha. Yeah, and he's fought, and I t- even the even the action with that, like like the, there's a there's a scene it when when he whacks him, wails him round the back the the side of the head with these two tennis rackets in slow motion, and you see them break, and you just watch it. Think, fuck, 
I, that guy's fucked after that, gotta be. The way you just can see action sequences and film them to make them look so brutal. No one really minded, that's the thing, because they knew it would look exceptional. You know, you've seen that interview with Mark Houghton where he talks about Skinny Tiger, Fatty Dragon, yeah. and Sam would just sort of puts it on front street. I'm gonna hit you in the face. Okay, and it does look exceptional, and they all, you know, no one was permanently injured from this. You know, considering what they put Chinkalok through, you would think he would be a cripple for life, but no, he's still with us. He's still uh, working as hard as ever, maybe not in front of the camera, but certainly as, uh, as an action director and things like that. So. When when you think about, like, Hollywood films and, like, fatalities they've had compared with Hong Kong and how they used to perform the stunts over there with not so much, like, oversight on, like, health and safety and that sort of thing, it's... The, the stuntmen have probably have been very lucky, really, when you think about it. Yeah, totally, totally. I mean, the the only fatality uh, that I can remember from a Hong Kong movie was uh, for the uh, modern action movie Downtown Downtown Torpedoes in 1997. There was a like a fragment from an explosion that hit a crew member, um, so it was a freak accident. You know, it wasn't um, planned uh, with. Uh, with no safety restrictions, it's still just one of those things. But I can't remember any any other thing. Um, which is, you know, they they know what they're doing, even if they're putting their lives on the line for us. But it, life is ironic that way. That it's a little piece that's going to cause the tragic thing. Uh, but uh, it's all they're all with us. And Samu just had his like 65th birthday or something like that. Uh, this week, pa- past weekend, yeah, yesterday. So there yeah. we go. Did you um? Uh, see his latest movie. We reviewed it for the show. It's going to come out pretty soon at the time of recording. But uh, did, did you see The Bodyguard, the movie he directed? I didn't know. It's on my list. I've, I, I saw the trailer. So it's it's something I'm going to look at watching at some point. So. Well, 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 do know this. It's, it has two action sequences. They're, they're quite good. But the rest is a little bit of gangster drama that um, is standard. But it's mostly a low-key drama with Samuel at the front and center and i can tell you mike he's still got it he's not overplaying it he's not doing melodrama or anything he's underplaying it wonderfully well so that, that friendship with the little girl i think was rather well done and the action considering his age is quite uh quite good it is action and it is drama so per different per definition it is action drama but with emphasis on drama the good thing is though, he's a, he's, he's a, we, we, i think we discussed this I discussed it before when we did the Leo, one of the Leo Garland ones and the thing is these guys start as action choreographers and directors but they are bloody good actors as well they are and Samo hasn't like it's the first movie he directed since um, Mr. Nice Guy so but he hasn't lost that sort of um, uh, touch with uh, playing it low key but both for being directed in a low key manner painted face and faces a taste of gold and things like that but also doing it himself uh, he knows that you know you shouldn't go the cry melodrama route just because you can you you can downplay things as well so uh, i i hope you like that mixture because i i was uh, quite taken with uh, the bodyguard uh, so um hope you get get to it in the meantime as for availability for my lucky stars it's out there uh, hong kong dvd and box set uh, is available it's bundled with winners and sinners and twinkle twinkle lucky stars uh, i got the remastered dvd of my lucky stars as a as a single thing i didn't buy the box set they it looks fine uh, the mono option to my ears is a down mixed version of the remix it's annoying in spots but not all effects are replaced um, which is surprising coming from fortune star but it's still bogus to sell as an original mix when it's actually not but that's fortune star for you 
Naughty. Naughty, naughty indeed. Uh, in all likelihood, considering the track record, the Hong Kong Blu-ray of the Fortune Star Remaster is a standard definition upscales and will feature a remix only. So, But again, it doesn't sound as bad as uh, certain tracks uh, do. Uh, the one for Warriors 2, for instance. Uh, the 5.1 is awful. Um, the Japanese Blu-ray of uh, My Lucky Stars reportedly does feature a real HD transfer from a Japanese cinema print. It is in Cantonese, though, and it has no English subtitles, as expected, because it is for the Japanese market. Uh, so there was no English language edit made for the Japanese market. That happened sometimes. Uh, but uh, in all likelihood, that uh, edit, though, uh, will contain exclusive uh, outtakes, which was a norm for a while for releases of some of Jackie's movies in Japan. Uh, so um, I, don't, I don't, don't think the Hong Kong version has uh, has any because it is a Sam Hong movie. UK's Hong Kong Legends produced a special edition a few years back and while it is out of print, pre- uh, prices are reasonable for used copies, uh, both that version and the Cine Asia re-release, which has the same uh, extras, it's just a different cover. It features at least one sensor cut. Um, Sam breaks into a car at one point and I think sensors probably deemed that to be a technique that young uns, kids could, imi- <laughs> could imitate. Um, and if memory serves me rightly, there's a dialogue about raping Sibel Hu. Well, there's a lot of dialogue about that. That It was either removed from the movie or the subtitles. Um, uh, but uh, it's not something I spotted because it's, the movie seemed chock full of that stuff, to be honest. I think uh, UK censors are still a bit uh, wary about like uh, techniques you can imitate. So we better remove that. Like Battle Creek Brawl has a brief cut when he does the, the double ear clap. Yeah, that, that's got to be the. Yeah, I, I think so they're probably playing it safe, thinking, well, then, well, I'll try that on next door's car with the uh, cow tanger or whatever he was using. It's uh, something that's pretty useful to certain groups of people, obviously. We are done for this uh, half of the show. When we'll uh, be back, uh, when we are back after the promo break, we are going to review a, a much better movie uh, Warriors 2 from Hammers, from Sam Hong from 1978. And it's a Wing Chun cycle, even if it's only a two movie cycle or whatever, it starts here. So, uh, and uh, this is actually per definition, if you didn't know, listeners, the prequel to Prodigal Son. But, uh, Robbie, it is a Prodigal Son is the prequel to Warriors 2. Sorry, Prodigal Son was made uh, later, but uh, there we get an older version of Yun Bu's character in. Warriors 2, so uh, there's your little connection for you. But uh, we'll uh, do that after break, so sit tight and we'll be back. Alright, man, we really gotta record a promo for this thing. Should we write a script for this? Ah, fuck it, man, we'll do it live. Hey, folks, this is El Goro. And this is the Cancer Man. And we are the hosts of Talk Without Rhythm, the only podcast that will not attract the worm. That really doesn't explain what we do. Well, we watch two movies a week, we review them, we bullshit, and sometimes we say something funny. Yeah, but most of the time we just piss people off. Well, the American film viewing public can't handle most of what we have to say. But if you think you can, you can find us on iTunes if you do a search for Talk Without Rhythm. You can also find us on our website, TWOR Podcast. Dot blogspot.com, baby. Deuces. And welcome back in the second review of this episode is Sammo Hong's Warriors 2 from 1978 and plot from the Hong Kong digital review of the film. One evening after work, bank cashier Chen Hua, played by Casanova Wong, overhears boss Mo, played by Fung Hakon, discussing how he plans to murder the chief of their town. When Chen confides his knowledge to the devious mentor Chu, played by Dean Shek, he is betrayed and almost killed by most lackeys. Hiding at the home of his friend Fei, or Fat, Chun, played by Sammo Hong, uh, also our director, uh, Chen is unaware that his boss's henchmen have murdered his mother as a way of luring him, luring him out in the open. 
and Chen again is the Casanova Wong character. Uh, Mo, our bad guy, carries out his original plan and is soon elected head of the town. Chun then finally tells his friend about the killing, prompting Chen to request instruction in Wing Chun from the, from the esteemed martial arts master Lung Jan, played by Lung Gaian. After much practice, Chen has come close to mastering the various techniques and will receive ample opportunities to put them into practice when the time comes for him to try and avenge his mother's death. Standard Kung Fu stuff in, in plot, if you will. But in terms of my quick opinion, it isn't exactly in the mold of Kung Fu comedy. Uh, it has some, but there is something important to note here. And that is that filmmakers like Sammo Hong knew how to make movies stand out, how to bring quality and vision to standard stuff, um, recognizable plots. Uh, like he wasn't just some point-and-shoot director that decided to goof off in the new territories for a while, hoping to be loved. But it has a greater concept than, than that because of the focus on Wing Chun. But yet it is simple. And um, it's one of those movies that brought effort and vision and remained. And is largely a terrific movie. Uh, um, it's not breaking a lot of new ground. And it takes maybe a fourth to go from okay to solid to great, right? Uh, because uh, when action and training kicks in, I think that makes it exemplary martial arts cinema. Uh, so uh, that's uh, that's my opinion for now. What do you want to say in short first about uh, Warriors 2? It's an ass-kicking kung fu classic. Better than, better than Prodigal Son, in your opinion? Ooh, Ooh. That's, a, that's a difficult choice, uh, to, to, to ask someone to make yeah. oh I, I don't think oh difficult it's difficult it's 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 up there as one of the the great kung fu films of the late 70s without a doubt and it's funny because it's one film that i always wanted to see i, th I think there was a limited vhs release in the late 80s uh early 90s i'd never heard of the film and i i, I got a video cassette from the local video shop that was like a compilation called The Best of the Martial Arts presented by John Saxon and it was showing you showing you clips from films that you'd, you that you'd heard of but never seen things like Millionaire's Express and things like that and one of the clips was from Prodigal uh, Warriors 2 it just looked great it, even with the bad dubbing on it and then getting the chance later on when DVDs came out to actually be able to let alone renting it, actually buy it and own it and watch it. It was just fantastic. The first time I saw it, it was like, this film's brilliant. Yeah, the um, I got I got the UK VHS. That was the first time I saw it. Uh, they made it Hong Kong once. I got it, you know, uh, subtitled and in widescreen. And uh, it really did kick ass. It was curious because I wasn't used to the tropes and sort of content of Kung Fu. So I was scratching my head, like, why does it make a bell sound essentially when Li Hoi San is hit by a sword, right? Like I wasn't used to that. It was sort of like bewildering because remember I came from loving heroic bloodshed first and then slowly but surely got into Kung Fu. So it was one of those like, it's great, but I don't know what that is about. But it makes me curious though. So, uh, But let's get back to the core a little bit. Uh, this is per definition set um, after The Protocol Sun where Yun Biu played... Lung Gaian's character as uh, Yun Biu comes into his own and gets taught Wing Chun and uh, that's what leads us through that movie and uh, in this movie Lung Gaian plays the character as uh, an older man. It, it isn't a biopic sort of situation in uh, for either Prodigal Son or this one but uh, Lung Jan is as far as I know 
an actual character uh, that live, or is it, or is it Lam Ching Ying's character in Protocol Sun? That's the actual character that's from uh, from from uh, real life. I always get those confused, or maybe both. But uh, it was both of them. Lung Yi Tai was the character played by Lam Ching Ying in Prodigal Son, and him and Wang Wabao, the the, the Samao character, supposed to be the two guys that taught Lung Jani Wing Chun. So. So you got three there, right? And 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 of course, uh, Wing Chun, uh, the originator, uh, falls more on the shoulders of a woman, I believe. Um, to be put brutally honest, mate, with any lots of martial art creation stories, it's a bit sketchy. It sounds good and all this sort of stuff, but I, I think if you track it all down, there's gaps in between the so-called historical narrative, so it's difficult to prove whether it's true or not. A lot of it's just like folklore, really. It's like all the Kung Fu systems all go back to the Shaolin Temple and all of that stuff. It's, I'm not convinced, but that's just me. But, you know, because certain stages of history, you can only trace it so far back, and then it's all open to interpretation and all that sort of thing. So sounds great, though, doesn't it? It's an origin story. And Wing Chun, a, a, a small, slight woman that could defeat guys a lot bigger than her just by using a, a, a Kung Fu. And and maybe that's why Samo didn't uh, aim to make a biopic because he didn't have all the all the facts anyway. So let's let's structure it around that and characters we know existed regardless of the events we're portraying uh, actually took place and all of that. Uh, you've seen demos during credits and pre credits in uh, martial arts movies, but uh, this is one of the more atmospheric ones that opens uh, Wars to the smoky bamboo forest as. Longayan and Casanova Wong do individually individual uh, individual training and posing and um, and moves and all of that and uh, then they come together for a fight. Uh, I, w- I wanted to ask you uh, if you watch Casanova Wong uh, and his kicks, uh, is that premium, almost unreal level height to his kicks and like unreal balance? Considering like he does these high kicks sometimes four or five in a row and still ki- still keeps keeps his balance. Is that you know, in your estimation, is that elite level he's at? Yeah, I mean, he was, you know, you can tell he's an exceptional martial artist and a kicker, obviously, being a taekwondo practitioner. So, and that's always famed for its like exceptional high kicks and mm-hmm. flexibility of the people that uh, train in it. Yeah, because when they do it in a, like several times in a row, I'm so impressed. I mean, you, you yeah. see, you see John Liu do that yeah. very well uh, too. I don't, I don't know if his background is uh, Taekwondo as well, but when you see him do it either fast or slow, when he gets the height, you know, based on the flexibility, going where it uh, where it ends up at, it's 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 mighty impressive. Yeah, it is very impressive, and I mean, as you said, that. Uh bamboo forest set and how Sam House filmed it and certain so the certain points when he does his kicking and it's all like it's like slow motion it'll freeze frame and then he'll do it again as it moves on it just makes it look exceptional not it's exceptional anyway I wish I was that flexible to be honest <laughs> but the way the way he's filmed it watching think oh no that's fantastic yeah you manage to absorb it a little bit more because he pauses it mid fight to make way for credits uh, that's how they mix it up but uh, that's not always they usually fight underneath it but here Samuel decides to freeze it during probably key points to sort of make people who uh, can appreciate it a little bit more maybe absorb aha here we are and and I assume uh, at least one of them or maybe both of them are um, it's a uh, you know we get a wing tune 
opening credit sequence because that's what the focus is gonna be um uh or what's your take on that uh do you spot uh a lot of or just some some minor tints of wing chun during the opening credits as far as lung is concerned and yet you know a lot of what he's doing the the, the, the way he's doing his punching and he's uh trapping when he's using the bamboo you know there are elements of wing chun in there because i mean i think it was guy Lai that was like uh a consultant on the film, so it's they bring and Sam Albert Sam is obviously thinking, yeah, I'm going to bring this in. So people, people that can practice that train it, will be going, oh, that's sound so, that's sound so. So you've got the element of the reality of the martial art in there. I mean, some of the things they do in these films, you know, are, are just pure, you know, for the film, just you know, showboating, just for the film. But but there are elements in there of actual Wing Chun and. As as the film progresses, you see more and more of it. But even in just that little thing at the start, when 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 he's, uh, I mean, it's a close range system anyway. So when he's caught in between the bamboo and he's using all his trapping and things like that, it's just showing you that it's effective at close range. Yeah, it's it's certainly uh, it's supposed to set up uh, mood, and we obviously get a little voiceover to to establish who is who and uh, and uh, all of that. And and then Samo does. A fairly rare thing in a movie. It seems like he's tr- trying out uh, co- comedy because one of the first scenes is uh, him interacting with uh, Eric Tsang with uh, Bakhti. <laughs> They're not above that for sure. I think. I mean, it's it's a it's a broad skit. It's a throwaway, but it uh, but it isn't uh, the worst thing I've seen. It's almost like I'll put comedy here and see it, maybe it works. Because the movie isn't filled with this stuff. The movie is kind of neutral in mood, slash fairly dark. I appreciated that, co- coming from 1978, where I, I don't know if Snake and Eagle Shadow had just been released or whatever, man. but we, Kung Fu Cinema still wasn't devoid of comedy prior to all of this. But I, I appreciated that it was infrequent, to be honest. Even if it would involve Sammo, it's not always Sam or Clinch's comedy, right? So it's um, it's a sequence that comes and goes, and then we're off to fairly fast. I, I'd have to say to to the plot with Casanova Wong, his mother getting killed, into training, blah blah blah. blah. So it's it's a fairly simple movie, thankfully. Uh, the, the small town darkness, essentially, uh, with uh, Fung Hakon at the helm. Yeah, and and yet again, Fung Hakon is great in it, and it's it's. Uh... You know, for in fact, you don't get to see him in action till right to the very end. So, spoiler alert. Well, well, they would have used him at some point, though. So, you, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. not like Fung Hakong comes and goes, and he's only the actor in this one. Nope, no, he's not. He's gonna be involved in fan, at at a not a, only a fantastic level, but a fantastical level. Let's just say. But what do you think? Uh, did you mind this little dip into comedy, or you thought like, oh, well, they got it out of the way, and let's move on to to the serious stuff instead? It's a staple of these films, isn't it? You know, the, the, there's always the elements of daft comedy, and then I mean, if you watch something like uh, just just to have something like Iron Fisted Monk, you've you've got like daft comedy in it, and you've got some of the most brutal rape scenes you've ever seen in a film, I think personally. And it's like the juxtaposition of this daft slapstick one minute, and then it's so dark the next. The first time you see them, you think, oh, God, I'm not sure about that. But uh, the more you watch them, you get used to it. So you are going to have a, you're going to have elements of slapstick comedy. You're going to have a guy with book teeth or a hairy mole at some point appear. And then you're going to have some dark, dark violence or some some dark part of the uh, the, the plot that's 
follows on or precedes it. So it's uh, it's 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 they're always a it's it's always a as I said it's always a staple. You're gonna have your daft comedy in there to 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 play to the people in the galleries, obviously, and keep them happy. It isn't though as calculated as some as some movies were because uh, I don't know why this came to mind, but I still remember it. Uh, uh, you know, uh, Snake Deadly Act, the Wilson Tong movie. It opens in that classic sort of two opposing fighters have a serious fight and then cut to many years later, and now it's goofy for like two thirds of the film, and then a big old two on one fight at the end. It's, it's sometimes it, the the structure is so calculated that it be- does become quite annoying. This one, uh, not at all. Uh, actually, it's just it dips into comedy every now and again. Yes, Dean Sheck is in it, does some things towards the end that's quite broad. But uh, I, I don't think Sam will let Dean Sheck sort of go in this one. F- thankfully, yes, he is that slimy sort of like smarmy assistant to the bad guy, but he isn't as broad as we're quite used uh, to him being. Whether in Drunken Master, uh, Dance of the Dr- Drunk Mantis, and things like that. So um, it's uh, it isn't going to be its bread and butter. Uh, thankfully what i'm convinced by though uh, or impressed by is actually for once the old age makeup for uh, two of our actors here i think uh, langayan who isn't super old by by 1978 or certainly not fong hakon either i think their old age makeup looks for these kind of movies rather convincing and it also co- comes by, combines with acting because langayan is acting in a very dignified way he is an old respected master and he don'ts that role so damn well. He naturally absorbs himself in that role of uh, Lung Jan. And it's almost like, you know, I'm, I'm theorizing here, but it's almost like th- there's an honor in playing that character. So I'm going to grab hold of that opportunity given to me and carry this role. And I think Lung Gaian certainly does because it is uh, both action-wise and but also outside of the action. He gets that Sifu aura correct any thoughts on that uh, the, the young guys playing old man Langayan and uh, Fung Hakon they are very good in the roles and the makeup is is very good as you said and especially when it's the, the DVDs have been cleaned up and the definition's a lot better than it used to be on VHS so you get a clearer picture it, and the fact that it looks still looks pretty convincing says a lot about it really because you, you do see films that have been uh, cleaned up for DVD and you watch them and the, the makeup just look you think god almighty done a, done a better job with that wouldn't you and previously you'd watched it on VHS or Betamax it wasn't a problem yeah even for movies like like I love, like Challenge of the Masters, compared actually, uh, I, I don't think Chen Quan Tai looked very convincing as an old man. It's like a good makeup job, yes, but it's one of those like, well, that that's a young guy playing a playing an old man. Um, so it, it's not always successful. No. Uh, I mean, he's good in a movie, but it's one of it's a it's a tricky balance to get right. I think the problem is with that one is is in in that and a lot of the training scenes. Uh... Chen Kwan Tai's got his old grey, you know, old man microphone, but he's stripped to the waist and he's got the physique of like a, a young true. man. <laughs> so it's like... Oops. We forgot <laughs> to put man tits on him. I think that they both play the roles really well. As you said, that Lungoyan's got the gravitas of this respected school owner. You know, he's a he's a Dittar doctor as well, and the locals respect him, and he's got that maturity about him. Mm-hmm. And Fong Hakon as boss man, he's just very good. A lot of the time, it's just his, even if he doesn't say anything, it's what, what 
it's how he moves his eyes or his facial expressions say more than probably did if he, if he'd got some dialogue and we're going I'm, I'm going to say it back again they're very good actors as well as being able to perform these high level fight scenes or stunts or what have you yeah, so uh, totally i mean it was always um it was always a bit of a shock to see long out of beard, post kung fu era, playing it very broad. Like I couldn't even recognize it when I saw him in like Last Hero in China or yeah. the right or variety of Stephen Chow movies where he where he comes in with the standard or well, early nineties Hong Kong gangster bling and the brick phone and uh, like is that Lang I mean, you you he's very funny, but he's well, I guess that is him, isn't it? And uh, you know, Fung Hakon a little bit better of a filmmaker, but he, um, but uh, both directed eventually too. And um, uh, Edge of Darkness is uh, Fung Hakon's best movie as director. It's a modern action movie with a lot of painful stunts and violence. It's uh, quite uh, quite good stuff. The big first fight scene, I guess, is when they all try to take out uh, Casanova Wong, and we get uh, power and intricacy is top notch. And then he squares off versus many of our favorite. Uh, kung fu players and uh i mean it's a uh, i i can't break these down very well other than that casanova wong is utilized extremely well and the shooting instincts in terms of camera position camera framing how far shots last and all of that those shooting instincts are exceptional we get in the case of these sequences uh, i think it involves uh, lao gawing as well a memorable character gallery uh, li hoi san for instance has that you know his uh it's iron body or whatever i mean he can take uh sword uh cuts without uh, being hurt and you hear like ding ding against his body and you i don't know now i forgot to look it up who plays the very long-haired henchman that pops up uh throughout the movie tiger yang isn't it the uh taekwondo guy i'm sure uh yeah thunder pie is his character yeah i think it is they all look marvelous man i mean the the design is thought out it's not just standard costumes from the costume department and you're now in a in a kung fu movie go but if samo has thought out that this these guys are supposed to feel dangerous man because Fung Hagon is a dangerous character that will go to any lengths to rule this town. And he has dangerous people around him that are going to dish out pain. <laughs> and you don't get those instincts in many kung fu movies. Those sharp like instincts where, where, where characters feel dangerous when they're supposed to. Yeah, and he's, he's always a good one for that, Sama. There's a good chance that someone's going to uh, seriously be injured or killed. And he always brings that element to it. And then, and that that scene, it might be a laughter scene actually, when uh, Lao Gawing is uh, squaring off against uh, Li Hoi San and the likes, uh, is just marvelous uh, because at one point Lao Gawing is uh, on the gr- on his knees, uh, well, on the ground on his knees, but his knees are crossed. You know, his legs are crossed, so he's fighting like he's uh, you know got no lower body essentially because he it, it seems like I gotta try every damn technique to even get to any of these guys because there are a lot of them and they're super talented and. Uh, at one point, uh, Laga Wing's character, I don't think he did this, does this jump kick and uh, Thunder Pie character Tiger Yang, whether it's him or not, kicks him mid-air yeah, and he yeah. drops like a sack of potatoes right there. And that hurts like hell. And coincidentally, at the same time as we were prepping to discuss this, um, Hong Kong stuntman uh, Jude Poyer posted, posted that clip. And I asked him, like, one, how does one do that? Is it any way to make that pain less and safe? And um, 
I thought I'd share his reply because if you if you watch that scene, listeners, uh, and uh, just go with it, you're gonna feel like that's painful and wow, what a technique. But technically, it's uh, it's up there because his take on it was the following: how they did that scene. Um, so, quote: uh, the stunt guy will be padded front and back. There's also additional sand on the ground to cushion the landing. I'm not saying it still wouldn't hurt, but if you look at the kicker, he's hardly thrown off balance by the guy he kicks. In parentheses, think about all the weight traveling at you. Even if you nailed a guy with the kick, you would likely stumble. One way you could achieve an effect like like this uh, with the stunt uh, is with the stunt guy cabled at the back, and the line gets tied off to a, like a tree trunk at a set distance from the kicker. Stunt guy jumps off trampoline, and when the slack from the wire gets taken in, it stops his forward travel and he drops. You can do um, similar without. Uh, tying the wire off but have it attached to a rope pulled by guys out of shot and if you look at the scene the timing is exceptional the wind he probably got the wind knocked out of him when he landed and got a little bit of a kick if you break if that was indeed exactly how they did it mike the timing required to get to that level where they get the timing right is quite something because i don't think they did that in one take and moved on uh, and they did 20 similar things that afternoon no, I'm, I'm, I mean, that's good getting Jude's uh, in, input from that because obviously he, he, he now how to do it. Being a Hong Kong stuntman for years and years, it does make sense when, when, when it, it's described like that. But even if, if they did do it with him just kicking him out the air, the jumping, as you said, it would take more than one take. And would anybody be up for that much constant being kicked in the chest one t- take after another? Well, well, someone has to, because it's like they said Samo, you know, it's my movie. I can't do it. I'm fat. So, and, and the guy isn't fat. Uh, but, but yeah, it looks marvelous because it's such a boom, drop to the, ga- drop to the ground. And, uh, there, there we are. In, in, an incredible moment, um, up until that point in the movie. Um, and any other moment that stands out in Lauga Wings fighting or Casanova Wong's fighting? Anything that comes to mind that you're, that, that you're impressed by? Or it's, or it's like a package that it's hard to, extract highlights from each and everything because everything has a high level of uh, of uh, martial arts choreography anyway. I think the bit when they, they kill the town chief and Leocar wings there, you, you can see, uh, I think you can see Yoon Bu's in there now, but there's a shot where they somersault, into, they somersault into shot and it's filmed from above and it just looks so good. They, they, they could have somersaulted in from the side, but the way it's done... They're being filmed from above and they somersault in, so you, you see it from above them and then they land and then they go into the fight. I just think that's excellent. I mean, also, they, they, it bears in mind saying that the um, future director Ricky Lau shot this movie. He was a cinematographer for Sam on multiple movies. So, it, you know, the technical crew was there and uh, they, they, this wasn't like this little indie thing. Yeah, they, they were all, as much as they risked their lives doing movies throughout the years, the, the technical crew was always super sharp and uh, ready to make this cinematic, which I think this certainly is. It just shows what a good eye he's got, Sam, for uh, not just directing fights, but for how to use the camera two movies in as director i mean he'd been around behind the scenes for many many years but uh, this is only a second movie as main director and the vision is all already strong yeah very much so oh, the, the same with uh Leogar wing obviously in certain scenes for that when he's been doing some flips and that yumbu has been doubling him obviously because mm-hmm. you can tell it's yumbu once you've watched it a few times you can see it looks you know so it's uh as i said he was the the go-to guy for doubling wasn't he 
Yeah, their Lao family's um, style wasn't didn't necessarily lend itself to acrobatics. Uh, so, uh, as far as I know, uh, you you don't get like that image when you're thinking of Lao Ga Long movies uh, with Lao Ga Wing uh, con- uh, participating. That they're doing flips uh, flips all over the place. So it's good to have you know multiple skills across the board there. And it, and if it is any Lao uh, Ga Long films, it, it's usually somebody like Siu Hao or whoever that's doing all yeah, the acrobatic stuff. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, yeah. Mad Monkey Kung Fu, uh, yeah. obviously, obviously being the when he's front and center and being acrobatic. Yeah, and there's a little bit Lady is the boss as well, mm-hmm. where they're where they're fighting in a gym, and he's. Uh, but watching it again recently, there's a scene on the parallel bars, and I'm I'm sure that somebody's. Been doubling him for that as well because obviously he's an acrobat like that, but he's not an expert on the parallel bar, so they obviously must have got a gymnast in just for that scene. Going back to like the structure of the movie, I think it's focused in between the action. You know, it's not skit like it. It has it goes for plot relevance. Uh, uh, relevance. Um, you know, it's a revenge template, yes, but they moves it, it moves itself forward, and uh, there, there's plenty of iconic moments. Uh, you know, along the way, but they, if we if we go to the big main chunk of the movie which is the training scenes and it's not a training montage it's a longer than that certainly longer than that and you you, you got the regular stuff that that we see in these movies tropes of the student in the, this case casanova Wong's character being rejected eventually accepted after some finessing by him and sam hong and then lang who plays it so dignified uh accepts him you know he's on his knees and offering him tea you know he's so immersed in the role already. He's so, so likable in the role as um, as uh, Master Lung Jan. It's all going to be headed this big big sequence by an by the evolving vision of Sammo Hung. There's no tired notion of seeing this particular training montage that focuses on uh, Wing Chun. And when I first saw it back in the day, I got like the vibe of this being yes, it is movies, but it feels to a degree. I don't know if it's a large degree, but it feels to a degree semi-educational what's going on here. So in your estimation, uh, is there any true, uh, like, like real Wing Chun on display here during the training? Uh, I, I, I mean, cr- crashing the nuts and all of that isn't necessarily, isn't necessarily Wing Chun, but what you see here, does it feel like could be educational to someone who's interested in Wing Chun, or is it all movie conventions? Uh, it's a mixture of both, really. And he's got the... They do use the butterfly knives that they use in the film. The the, the twin knives with the, the, the blades are about 12 inches long or whatever. You see them using those in the film. That is one of the wings and weapons. And the six-and-a-half-point pole that you see him training in when he cracks the nuts. I mean, that is the one of the pole forms that, 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 that you learn in Wing Chun as well. Right, right. right. Uh, so you've got that element. And also the way they train using the wooden dummies. All right, the way Samo's done is his robotized them, so they move up and down in certain sequences. But the basic element, the Jong, the wooden man, is still a, a widely recognised Wing Chun training device. You've got two kinds. You've got the freestanding one. It's got a big base. And then they've got the one that, that, original, that they used in Hong Kong because space was a premium, so it's like wall-mounted. So, that, so they're the two different types that are normally in use. And then obviously you've got the, the robotized ones that Samo uses in the training sequences in the film. Do you think anyone has ever done that in real life? Put these uh, these wooden men on uh, on a track and, uh, and uh, have them come at you like that? I wouldn't be surprised 
To be honest, mate, if 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 somebody hasn't done it, it'd be interesting to see if they had. I, I might do some googling later, see if somebody has tried to do it. But I know for a fact that uh, th- there's a training sequence when they're doing the the chi sao and they put the blindfolds on. Him and uh, Chin Yutsang. Chin uh, Yutsang, yeah. That that's a sensitivity drill that they use in Wing Chun Chi. So I know for a fact somebody told me this that after people Wing Chun guys had seen this film, they started training their Chi so with blindfolds on. Really? It can be because, <laughs> because that, that particular section is like cleverly made because they play it a little bit more of a comedy. Like Sam Hong at one point, you know, peeks out from the blindfold and smacks Shin Yutsang. But uh, it, that means if they got that from that sequence and not just like stupid comedy. I'm not saying it's stupid, but it isn't breaking just for comedy. Then that means the balance is here. This is supposed to be a movie. It's supposed to be entertaining. We're going to let it run for quite some time. But, but it's not going to be. It can't be a boring instructional video. So Samo and the production design team and everybody has to strike this balance. And I have to say, it earns every goddamn minute of this. Because I think this 10-15 minute scene is mesmerizing. I don't know anything about this stuff, so I just think it's cool. The way Lungayan's character introduces the different training, you know, he has to catch the leaf, you know, train his uh, reflexes or whatever, and obviously yeah. crashing those uh, those nuts with a pole um, that, that will, in true Kung Fu cinema fashion, come back later, because that's what they normally do. They cut back to the training while they dish out damage towards the end of the film. But I think it's a wonderful scene technically because the production design is great but it even as a non-practitioner of all of this it's effing entertaining man it's it's uh it's it's steered by vision and uh you you can't ask for a better you know epic training scene most of the time we get training montage uh training montage of sorts but samo is confident to let this run and i think he earns every every minute of it it's um i liked it back then when i maybe seen five kung fu movies in total when i first saw warriors 2 because i just thought this this is cool this looks cool man it's not boring old man talking about like of stuff i don't know it just looks cool and it still does man it still gets to me that uh, I, he could have had 10 15 more minutes of this and i think he would have uh, done well but uh uh, so, so I think the balance is just right for this sequence. So what do you think? You're very, very much so. And it's interesting that the the lead up to it where Samo wants Lung Jian to take Kashiwar as his student. So there's that scene where Samo's sitting in the chair and he's get, getting him to do the bicep, the tea ceremony. And Lung Jian's looking at him in disgust. He's pretty funny the way he sits on the, like, almost like he sits on the throne. Like, yeah. Yeah, I'm the king here, right? Right. <laughs> and then he starts teaching him extremely badly, yes. deliberately, and like Lung Jan's just shaking his head and he takes him on the end because he'd he'd be shamed if Samo was teaching him what he was showing him. Yeah, the the bending stupidly, like at stupid angles and stuff, like no, no, what did I teach him? It's for once it's a it's like a clever comedic sequence, actually. I I'm glad you highlighted that because it's not typically grating cheap gags or anything. During part of the training, I can't remember if it's in that sequence or he mentions a Silum Tao, which is the first form you, you use, you, you're training and it's called Little Idea and he does mention it through a, a, in part of the training sequences. I can't remember exactly which yeah, one. Yeah, I think so because uh, there, he mentions Little Idea and then I guess uh, the, the, the opposite to that. And I don't know if they call it Big Idea or Great Idea but uh, you're right, I think I've caught that this time around, that there were two different contrasts to, to, to that. 
So you have got your real Wing Chun elements in there alongside the stuff that's just been put in just for the movie. So it's, and as I said, having Guy Loy as a consultant, they've obviously, Sam has obviously thought, well, this is, this is the real elements of it. How, how can we put it into the film? As you said, people can still get the information about the Wing Chun training. That doesn't take it away from the actual part of the the plot and the training as as required for the film. Yeah, because it it, it remembers obviously to kick in to kick in the darker aspects of it. I won't spoil it, but but I'm I'm gonna mention that the the, the tea house attack is uh, is something else, and it's so cowardly because it's twenty guys on one guy and they add bear traps. Yeah, uh, the way our hero in this case. Uh, withstands all of this you know uh, after having been stabbed you know he sits on this chair while while fending off uh, various assassins before they all jump him essentially it's uh it's it's iconic and just um uh, marvelous showcase because it has to do with acting too and an iconic uh, character that we come to know is now on the ropes and uh but he's not given in and uh i think i, I, I think that's just uh marvelous and so, sort of classic celluloid if you it, it is, and it's. I mean, I've, I've, I've bought a bear trap on eBay, and I, whenever I go out drinking, I'll take it out with me just in case. <laughs> I, just in case I have a rook with a guy that does wing chun, so it's always best to be prepared. But but that whole thing you said, it, it, they're extremely cowardly. He puts up such, a, and the only way that can beat him is by cheating, because he's not knocking them, you know, left, right, and centre all over the place. And then once the bear trap incident happens and he's injured, they, they, they attack him. And even the way they dispatch him at the end, you know, with the with the croc, what's it over, bashed over his head. The way when they hit him and he just like does that little flip and lands on the floor. That's just they could have just hit him and he could have fallen over. But that just adds to that scene when the guy hits him and he like does that little flip and lands on his back and you think, oh, that must have that hurt. That guy's done for. I've seen Samo do that himself in movies just for comedic purposes sometimes. There's a, there's a scene in The Dead of the Deadly where uh, he asks, I think he asks Lam Ching Ying, who plays that really, 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 really old master. His old age makeup in The Dead of the Deadly looks like, uh, there's like a cake over his face. Like uh, his face looks like dried pottery in The Dead of the Deadly. I love that movie, but uh, it's not as convincing as in this movie. But he gets slapped and... He he doesn't slap and fall down. He he does that very thing you just said, a flip, and then he falls down. So it's a uh, will comedy stance. It wasn't about like adding a little bit of difficulty to what is like just someone slapping him, uh, which is very sad, I suppose. Uh, furthermore, we want to spoil uh, everything and everything, but I think uh, I did, there's further un, uh, unusual sort of stylish moves, uh, you know, conjured up by the writers and the filmmakers team here because. The, the last half hour is essentially the big end fight uh, at various locations. I think it's rather clever that the trio that's going to fight back, they say that, well, you take that guy, you take that guy, and you take that guy because your technique matches him and so forth. And then they get it wrong because yeah. Sammo ends up, he has like the what they call sticky hand technique, and yeah. they think that will suit that particular guy, but he finds the wrong person and he has to adapt to that and what it leads into a little forest area so he fights you know versus a, a spear guy i think so yeah that spear guy can't obviously or pole guy uh which sounds very <laughs> informative right the pole guy that's the that's the status he has what i love about that sequence without going in depth on it is that it gets brutal and primal 
And that's what it needs to be. After Samo finally realizes that he has adapted and now he can fight back. And it's all in the name of revenge too. So I, I like that sort of tint to it that it isn't stylish, balletic, light stuff. But it is that and then some plus the element of getting primal, getting back, getting primal revenge out of the way. And that's rather marvelous. It's even thousands of kung fu movies later. Uh, as made and as you've watched it, Mike, I don't see anything in Warriors 2 that I think like <sighs> standard cliche because it's done well. That's what that's what happens when you go back to movies that even John Woo movies that I thought I'd be tired of just because everyone has done that kind of stuff and made parody out of it too. But you realize when you go back to the great stuff, it's still great because it led, it was leading. And I think that's what we're seeing in Warriors 2, largely. Um, this sort, sort of clever setup for, for the end fight that uh, Fatty messes up. <laughs> so, which they call him. It's not me being, being uh, looking down on him. They call him Fatty. So. Of course, every film he's in, he's called Fatty by somebody at some point. So it's, it's, it's one of those things. But it's that whole sequence with those fights is, as you said, they, they get it mixed up. But when he fights the spear guy, I mean, Sam, I was at the top of his game, you know, and he's doing the flipping and over the tables and, uh, you know, trying to get away from the spear. And then there's a bit at the end when he like hits him with a spear and he, he, he flips off like a balcony onto a table. That oh, that's like, a marvellous stuff. Uh, I think Sam would, it looked like Sam would did that it one. It looks like Sam, oh, yeah. I've watched it, rewatched it back a few times and it just looked, looked like Sam, oh, and, yeah. and it's just exceptional. And when you said the sticky hand technique, that's what chi so means, sticking hands. Right. That, that drill. So it's obviously close quarter sensitivity. So he uses close quarter sensitivity skills to, to defeat that guy, but he's got it the wrong way around. So it's... Uh, so, so yes, so so yes, it com- it's comedic to a to a degree because well, you know he talks to himself. Oh no, I got the names mixed up. Like go, but it isn't you know uh, broad and uh, sort of uh, lame and clownish. But he uses his sticking hands to defeat the guy with the spear because don't you get he gets him in close with the bamboo so he can't use his spear and then he sticks to him if you notice he grabs him and keeps hitting him and pulls him in and hits him. He he, he does do what he intends in to do but not to the person he was going to do it to and it's also obviously it's a it's supposed to be a, a night sequence you can't see anything obviously it needs to be lit so you can see something but i, I think it's a, a wonderful setting that they uh, they end up at uh, actually um it's uh, rather rather atmospheric so there, there is an element of elevated violence uh, so some minor tints at this um uh, uh, rather some minor highlights from from this Long, long end fight that involves, you know, Casanova, Wong, Sammo, and the leading lady that uh, I haven't looked up her name, I'm sorry to say, so pardon me if I don't know her name, but uh, what one little highlight is, uh, I, I wrote like, 12-year-old Mang Hoi with a beard, aww. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Because he, he encounters them out of the blue, we haven't seen these guys before. These uh, guys with uh, these bent bent swords that uh, and uh, twin swords too. So it looks like they're they're a pair of lawnmowers essentially, and that looks pretty ca- damn badass. But it's like a tw- putting a twelve twelve year old in the scene, a very acrobatic one, mind you, with a beard and uh, making him fight. That's cute. <laughs> 
Yeah, but it's it's like in all of Sam House films that they'll appear in different roles, and a lot of the times I'm just wearing like a false beard or or like a hairpiece or something, yeah. and it's still the same guy. And when you watch them as much as we do, you can identify them quite easily. Yeah, I could see him. I don't know uh, who the other guy was, and apparently it's uh, Shin Yutsang again behind that beard because he both plays the student and another sword twin as 8kmdb calls him so um, that's apparently shin yutsang in there so doing double duty or maybe triple duty throughout the movie uh, any spontaneous highlights from uh, the end sequence without uh, spoiling uh, you know the big reveal well that big reveal is because i watched that re-watched that film with my daughter she's uh she's at uni and we've we re-watched that film and uh she said it was she said, that was so disturbing when you get that big reveal. She says, I wasn't expecting it. She said, it really freaked me out. Because uh, the person involved looks doesn't look like a romantic lead. He looks like a bad guy, obviously. Yeah, and it was just a shock that the person involved wasn't who you think he was. He was, you know, somebody else. And yet we've seen it hundreds of times yeah. and not being surprised and not being like, ooh. But yeah. here we're like, oh my god, shit's on. <laughs> you know? And it, add, it adds such wonderful color because now it takes a turn for the fantastical. It's uh, now we're doing uh, 45 degrees praying mantis. It it requires wires, the uh, wire trickery and uh, camera trickery to sell some of this stuff now. Exactly right. And I think the whole look of... Uh... And you know, with his hair slicked back and his pale, you know, his white, his pale skin, and it mm-hmm. just looks like really like sinister and evil. Yeah. And then when he when he's got his de- his gravity defying northern praying mantis technique, it just like that's the icing on the cake. Grace. Uh, Casanova Wong uh, rightly reacts like <laughs> you know, he p- p- puts a very long face when he sees yeah. that like. Okay, we have to deal with this now. I don't buy for a for a minute that Dean Sheck is even remotely better than Samo in some of the end fight between him and Samo. And I don't really. It, it's I think Dean Sheck is there for for audience friendly, uh, an audience friendly tint to the movie um, because um, you know I've seen worse and I like him sometimes, but uh, I, I wasn't as interested when. Sam Hung is, uh, you know, juggling Dean Sheck about the place. Uh, eventually, it's um, I, I didn't need it necessarily, but but I, I, it's kind of daft, yeah. Um, but it's uh, I've I've seen him do worse, and he, I, I've seen him be much more annoying in movies. Uh, granted, so Sam sort of found managed to like decrease his volume a little bit, uh, but um, you know, he participated to a fair degree, Dean Sheck. I don't think he had much lots training per se, but I, I know he participated a fair deal in comedic fights at the very least um and and was game and obviously I, i'll never take anything away from dean check in terms of evolving hong kong cinema being one of the co-creators of cinema city and uh producing and directing uh, uh d- directing talent himself so he's yeah. obviously contributed a lot yes and it's it's funny how he, he became quite as you said quite typecast into these like comedic henchman type roles it's weird watching him in these films and then watching him in in a completely straight role, in a better tomorrow too. An overacted role, but straight role nonetheless. Yeah, very much so. But it was quite a polar opposite to what he usually plays, and yeah. it quite surprised me actually, because he'd always got this, like, as you said, this uh, comedic henchman role, and he's he's done it pretty much in <sighs> most of the films. Sam, those period films, Sam has done all. Yu Wu Ping's done them, or whatever. 
but, but but when he acted in like everybody else's movies, it was kind of a they they just kind of left him uh, to do his thing, and that that's why most of the time it was it was quite annoying because he went on and on and on, and all that it sounded like that as he talked and made noises and shit. Yeah, you know he's reeled in to a degree here, but I don't think I've uh, I, I needed him necessarily during the end fight. That's the bit of the film I don't like when he's like Samo uh, spinning him round on his on his on his feet. He's up in the air and he's going round. That was a, that's really daft. But uh, it's like that daft slapstick again, isn't it? Playing to the gallery, yeah, I assume. That totally. People, they obviously, that's the expectation of these sort of movies, isn't it? That you've got to have this sort of comedy in there. I, I think it detracts from the end fight, personally. It certainly does, and I mean, even the very thing, the, the thing that happens at the very end, uh, Samo you know, trips on trips someone over, freeze frame. So someone trips over a bit. In the end, like it's it's a it's a little bit sucking up to the audience, I think. But I wanted to ask you, the leap kick that Casanova Wong does. Uh, I've watched the shot a couple of times, and it's not broken up. Uh, you know, the the final kick, I think, in the whole in the whole uh, movie. That kick looks like it goes on for quite a long time, and it might be very, in a subtle way, wire-assisted. I, I literally don't know. What's your take on that? Is that even possible to do with a long run-up? I always assumed that he that he just did it himself, right. because he's quite an athletic guy, and it's quite a... I mean, if, if you watch some of the Taekwondo demonstrations, some of the kicking they do, he's extremely... Uh... Because he flies over the widescreen frame almost the entire thing from right to left. I don't know whether he don't use the little mini tramp or something. I don't know. Or it might have taken low hundreds of takes. I'm not sure. It's definitely not something he's learned doing Wing Chun. <laughs> no. It's not close quarter oh. combat anymore. No, no. And just going back, you were on about the... Sorry to, you know, my, my old age. It's just popped back in. When you were going on about the Lee Hoi Sang character and the, 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 the bell-like sound... Well, they call iron shirts in some sense, but they call it gum gong, which is golden bell cover, they call it, which is obviously why you've got the bell sound there, just to show that he's got a iron body. All somebody had to do was probably, that's the trouble is as well, that because of the films and everything, people think, you know, it makes you impervious to being stabbed and being shot, and it doesn't. But it looks great in the films when they do it, and you get that ding, 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 you know, you get that metallic noise when they're doing it. It's, all, it's always great. But uh, I like the way that he dispatches him because we're going back to when he's cracking the nuts with the pole it's it's rope isn't it that he's got and he actually uses that it hits him on the foot and then he comes up and hits him in the nads and i just like the way that he's dispatched him and it goes all the way back to what he was learning to do when he was training with lung jan and 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 that's the other thing about these films that the training always has an element it's always a plot point in the end fight on usually how they're going to dispatch the villain yeah, there's, and there's always a cut back to the training and like black and white yeah. or like f- filtered or something like that. Yeah. And they, but but it's it's clever because it's so damn violent in this one. Like yeah. it's a bloody dispatch of uh, Lee Hoi San. Yeah. And uh, you you should take off every opportunity, I think, to showcase Lee Hoi San with his shirt off because I don't think anyone was as ripped as he was. But you can't see it. Yeah, like he he he. You know, if you saw him with a shirt on, like a, a, in a in a nice suit, like yeah, I mean, he looks fit, I guess. And then he blows up, essentially, when he takes his shirt off. Like, whoa, was that under there? It, it doesn't seem in proportion sometimes. But man, was he ripped, uh, you know, at his peak. On the, on the Hong Kong Legends special features, I think he's interviewed. 
and he seems a really nice man. And he's he's like Fong Hakon. They always play these horrible bastards, and it just shows you what good actors they are. Obviously. Very much so, and uh, Leo San, uh, like uh, people have seen him in many movies, but uh, Samo's main opponent in Magnificent Butcher uh, is like uh, one of his iconic roles as well. That's the end of my notes. Uh, I'll leave the floor to you if you want to say anything else about the movie. I just think that the the finale, the the, the two on one finale, is just exceptional. It's just interesting the way he choreographed that because it's like, as I said, uh, it's not hang on. Uh, gravity defying skills are exceptional as well. The, the way you can fight at a 45 degree angle. The, and there's that scene when he crawls along the floor on the, on his, on his hands. That's like, that gives him, that's another thing that freaked my daughter. I said, God, he's like, oh, I said, him running after you like that would freak anybody out. Yeah. And it's, it's just these little things that somehow can, add to these films rather than just having just a bad guy being able to do these gravity defying uh, movements which just adds to his evil persona i i assume i'm I'm trying to work out how they did do that final kick the actual hit uh, on that not hang off a separate shot so they didn't uh, uh let him fly all over the frame and then hit the guy to the left in the frame, so that's the first cut when they do a close-up yeah. of um, the chest hit or whatever. It's obviously something that you wouldn't see in any other film, and it's obviously somebody of Sam Howe's calibre. It's just a really good way of ending it. And I've, I've, I've just I've just re-watched I'm sorry, I'm just re-watching it now on YouTube just to have a look. Still can't figure it out. <laughs> and isn't that good that we can't figure it out? Yeah, it is, and I'm, I'm just... I'm assuming he must have had a little springboard or something. Yeah, like a long run up and then a springboard. Or something. Yeah, just just to give him that little extra bit of height to get over the table yeah. and do the turn. But if you look at some of the Taekwondo demos on YouTube, some of the guys kicking are doing similar things to that, doing backflips and kicking uh, targets that are held above them. There's a, something they do, I think they call it a tornado kick. There's a few examples of knockouts when they, they, they kick the one leg up in the air and as it goes up they spin round and whilst in midair they kick the guy around the head with the other leg I would say it looks like he did it himself you know we do know they've used Yoon Bu in certain cases for certain kicking as well haven't we so it, 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 I'm not sure how much he was used to double for him probably took quite a few takes if it was him using a little springboard or something just to get over the table yeah you, you gotta keep a line too right even though it's shot from the side you gotta keep a a, a certain straight line for for focus and for for the scene in general. So uh, it's uh, it requires uh, something out of you. And he doesn't like he's got a wire either because he does. He, the the guy who he hits has obviously got to be padded up heavily. Yeah, I mean you you could have a wire in the front, I suppose, but it, to me it just looked like a, a physical feat of some kind. Yeah. So, um, but uh, I'm I'm glad I can't figure out some things. We're we're, we're so spoiled with that stuff, but. Uh, hey. There's something from 1978 is still befuddling to us. If he has done it without a springboard, then fair play to him. And and it's being able to to pull that off is just a, a, a feat of an exceptional martial artist who needs superheroes. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> but he's I mean he's obviously very fit, so he might have been able to do it for all we know. It's, yeah. Uh, I, I, I need to go get my DVD and watch all the special features. See if there's any mention of. Uh, 
whether it, I've got a look in the back of my brain, says it was him. I'll find out. Not always post it on the page if it's incorrect. Absolutely. And any listeners who know, then you're welcome to write us in as well. So get some dialogue going. Did who did it and how did they do it? The final final leap. But okay then. As for availability, uh, Warriors Two is strangely absent from Hong Kong DVD currently. I mean, Fortune Star did remaster the film, but most releases outside of Hong Kong, based on that if not all uh, English-friendly releases anyway, are played with bad sound. Uh, sound Specifically, Fortune Star's own remix uh, in 5.1 exchanges a lot of the old sound effects for completely out-of-place new ones. Uh, you, you And they don't offer up a mono option. Uh, so that's the only soundtrack you'll have on the Hong Kong Legends Special Edition. Uh, it's the only soundtrack on the US DVD that came out a bit afterwards. Uh, and both of these go for quite expensive prices nowadays, so it is indeed out of print. However, the French label Hong Kong Video did a double bill DVD edition with Iron Fisted Monk. Yeah, it's a slightly older print with the Media Asia logo and all of that. It's in mono and it's very reasonably priced. It's not English subtitled uh, because they are working the French market. But if you uh, don't need subtitles, that's fantastic. Then you don't need to do anything. But if you navigate the internet for subtitles or custom editions, uh, you're able to you know, pick the edition up physically to have, because it's nice to have, and then burn the custom onto a disc so uh, and save, obviously, the original somewhere and uh, and uh, do it that way. Because uh, it, it looks good for, for DVD, and uh, that's all I need uh, currently. And... Um, if you still have the VHS from uh, Made in Hong Kong in the UK, that might be a collector's item by this point, as sometimes these tape releases are. So, um, like in Hong Kong, it had a Delta Mac DVD release uh, uh, prior to Fortune Star remastering it, and I had it, and for the life of me, I can't find it anymore. So, is that the one with the illustrated cover with like the drawings on? And no, that was actually, uh, it, the, that's one, the original poster, but it's actually the cover used for the mainland China DVD that was dubbed in Mandarin. But that company, WA, or WAH, as I like to call them, they did 5.1 sound, but they never added anything. It just, they just uh, went all echoey on us. Yeah, I've got that in the HKL, and I have to say, I prefer the HKL because that WA one, the bloody sound on that is so... Oh, the, you just said the echo. It's so bad. And they did that on every release, dude. What what you can do, if you can isolate your center channel by fiddling about with the settings on your receiver, that, that's where you have your mono audio without echo. Yes, it's in Mandarin only. But if you yeah. know how to do that, then just lower all the channels. Keep the center. And that's what you uh, that's what's left after that. So, But yeah, it's a typical Hong Kong or slash mainland DVD quality control for you. But the, the the audio on that 5.1's Fortune Star soundtrack is awful. I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll, I forbid you to watch that again. I'll send you a DVD-R of what I have because uh, that's it's not respectful to the movie to remix it like they did. It's a shame about that because again, but that's because like hey, Hong Kong legends. We, 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 I mean, as far as that they were the premier label for the, this sort of this sort of cinema, you know, Hong Kong cinema films, you know, with all the with all the extras, and then. I don't know what happened, but it all went downhill, didn't it? And it's just yeah. I mean, I mean, also Fortune Star, I know, are not easy to deal with, but you gotta still be educated, man, and realize that okay, but at least offer up options uh, because I you can play to audiences that like like to see. Oh, it's in five point one. We can cram our sound. 
you know, and have a good old time. But you gotta play to audiences that both that, that like it's not a specialized thing to want original mono audio without annoying added sound effects, right? Um, so it's a shame that quality control in the UK didn't mean that that wasn't in place, so they never said like, hey, this sounds crap, give us mono too. Hong Kong is sometimes treated like disposable entertainment and no no one cares about it being a certain way or sounding a certain way. Like, it's, ju- it's just Hong Kong cinema. And I think that has such a crappy attitude. And unfortunately, it's not just in Hong Kong and for Hong Kong movies. I mean, uh, I'm looking at my Blu-ray for the good, good, and bad, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and that features also a remix only and on some other Leone movies. They say the mono is there too, but it's just a downmix of the effing remix, and it sounds awful, absolutely awful. And is that how you treat a cinema classic? Apparently, and it's 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 not acceptable, man. It's not acceptable. Um, you don't um, enhance a movie that way. You don't. A, a lot of DVDs I've got, especially the Hong Kong ones. I've I've got if it's I've got like the Universe edition or the Mayar or the WA version, and then I've got the Hong Kong Legends as well as because of the extras. That they went then then Dragon Dynasty were doing similar sort of thing. So I've I've got some of the original, especially the Shaw Brothers. I've got like the original IVLs, and then I've got the the Dragon Dynasty versions just for the extras. Just because I'm, I'm I'm interested in that sort of thing, but w- when they're messing around with the soundtracks, it just makes you wonder whether they want people to enjoy them or. Yeah, it, it's it's, uh, it's it's baffling, man, because it's not like the audio is lost or anything. Yeah, the, if you ever get a chance, uh, um, I'm sure there's a comparison video out there of the audio for the Chinese boxer on DVD versus VCD. And it I'm sure it has unauthorized music, man, but it's not like they had to replace it because of that, because there's tons of Shaw Brothers movies with still on uh with still, you know, audio and music from other movies. So it's just like we gotta enhance it, man. And it's like they redo it on cheap synthesizers. And the new Foley's obviously stands out like a sore thumb, but the Chinese boxer is just laughable because there's there's some Maybe library music, but classical sounding music for the opening credits as someone runs. And that that's oh God, that sounds epic enough on the VCD. And then you get to the DVD and it's like like a five pound synthesizer doing the sounds and someone like so, someone's niece or nephew just hitting the keys a little bit. Put out on the DVD, 5.1, use the Dolby logo. Happy and proud that we're sharing Hong Kong legacy, Hong Kong cinema's legacy on DVD. Bollocks it is, mate. That's what it is. Corporate because... Even the studios now, that they just make the films now to make money. It's not because they're cinephiles and they love cinema. It's just all about the dollar at the end of the day. And if they can charge you £10 more by getting a cheap Casio, as you said, somebody's kid plinking around on the keys and then stick the doll below going, it's going to cost you an extra 10 quid, then so be it. It's remarkable how disrespectful it can be. Now, flip the coin. You can... I, I know we're talking about this a lot, but screw, screw it. I've heard several examples of okay we want a 5.1 remix on the track uh, on the disc because that, that's a selling point we can have the dolby logo on there i've heard tracks that are just in, in simple terms really because it says it all widened mono meaning that the soundstage is expanded but not altered and i gotta tell you that has worked a treat for certain movies may are were very good at that actually for their releases uh, that have 5.1 for older movies uh, and um, I can't imagine why that isn't more commonplace. 
but uh, th- there we are. I mean, th- that's a that's a shame in the case of Warriors too. That uh, and partly my lucky stars, it didn't sound awful, um, as awful as I expected. But uh, you don't see the Criterion Collection being all uh, being all willy nilly and remixing Orson Welles movies or Steven Spielberg <laughs> movies or like whatever you know, and uh, and classic art house movies and putting like new effects on it and. Uh, you you don't see them do that, but we come back to the fact that well, Hong Kong cinema no one really cares about this stuff. It's just kung fu, man, and it's 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 absolutely wrong to um to do that. And we're not asking for special treatment. We're asking for what's right. It's, it's funny because some some th- get rid of. I mean, I'm just sitting here now, and I've got my two disc deluxe edition of El Cid, right, and uh, by Anchor Bay, and they've got the five point one, but they've also got the original stereo audio one as well. And it seems exceptional, the stereo one does. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I haven't got a 5.1 system anyway. Of It doesn't bother me that much, really. But even the stereo system sounds good. So, some of these uh, studios, they even fuck the stereo up. And even that sounds shit. And then, then, you, then you screw both ways. I just find it ridiculous. Yeah, you, you see, it's not all, only Hong Kong Salem, obviously. It's just... Um... But it's a frustrating thing because the Hong Kong legend stuff. I mean, I I, I do like them because you get all the extras, you get the Bay Logan commentaries and that. And then the big criticism in any of the reviews and that is all the the audio is always bollocks. <laughs> and 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 to be fair, when they work with Media Asia, they normally got fairly good soundtracks, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, but it was when Fortune Star entered and they. And they thought that they were bringing something to the table by making jazzing up things here, and I couldn't stand it most of the time. I, you know, I have my Asus Go Places set here, and I love almost all the movies. And at least two or three of them are have mono that is still that is also a down mixed version of the um, of the Dolby. And you can hear it immediately. Sometimes you hear like echo, an echo effect where it's not lay it in properly you can hear the old one underneath and like what are you doing uh but that that's that, that's unfortunately fortunately it um that's why i stick to my old formats sometimes but uh, like because i know with with laser discs i know what i'm getting <laughs> right <laughs> uh even if i'm not getting pristine quality i know what i'm getting and i'm in safe hands try and find um a better sounding version of warriors 2 is is our point and and it's okay to to be happy with what you have. I'm I'm not saying that you shouldn't, but uh, Fortune Star deserves to be called out on their BS uh, because um, a lot of the time I'm, I might cut this out and just gonna say it anyway. Like even the 4K Bruce Lee movies that came out, like newly remastered, all new and and crappy sound with new effects. Not a mono option in sight, and we're only gonna get that for either the UK or the US releases because someone asked for it. But it's a shame that you have to ask for it. Right, they only offer up by default our multi-channel crap. But um, it's almost like someone needs to have deep cuts knowledge to actually ask for original soundtracks. Um, and maybe uh, maybe they require request more money to place that on the disc. I don't know, but uh, it's strange what is default and what and what isn't. But uh, let's round this up and get get off our high horses and. Uh, and enjoy enjoy movies. Take take what we get and eat the crap that we get. <laughs> I'm gonna say, do you offer this podcast in five point one? Uh, I don't eat in stereo though. <laughs> <laughs> the mu the, hey the music is in stereo. Our talk is actually mono. There you go. Uh, so we we you do you won't hear me in left uh, in left ear and Mike in the right ear. So 
Well, next time we'll do it and we'll record it in the bathroom so it's really echoey. How's that sound? Because they did it on DVD, though, and they they are business people. They know what they're doing, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So there it is. But uh, anyway, uh, we are rounding off these uh, matters with some brief contact information, and this has been Podcast on Fire in regular stereo slash mono over at podcastonfire.com. Make your your choices over there. We have plenty of shows, including bonus episodes. Uh, If you have any questions or feedback, uh, let us know. Podcastonfire at googlemail.com. Go over to social media by using the buttons at the top of our page. The Facebook button leads to Facebook. Uh, the Twitter button leads to Twitter. The iTunes button gives you the option to uh, see our iTunes feed and you can subscribe to it, leave a rating, leave a comment. And finally, stream us on Stitcher Radio via their website or the applications available on the Apple App Store and Google Play. I write about the variety of Hong Kong and Taiwanese movies over at SoGoodReviews.com. My video review at SleazyKVideo.com and my Twitter handle is at SoGoodReviews. So that's it, buddy. Thank you very, very much for this uh, retake. Uh, I think it was a, a jolly good uh, discussion, probably even better than we had uh, originally did in May 2016. But uh, the movies certainly didn't go out of style uh, like uh, seven or eight months later. So I'm glad to, go to, ba- to get you back on board. And now, now we can move forward, finally. <laughs> Yes, thank th- thanks for putting up with all the changes and stuff. I do no, appreciate no, no. it. I I did enjoy it. I, I I hope it was up to standard of the original recording. That's uh, that's a given, uh, given that it is because you always bring a high standard, my friend. Oh, thank you very much. The checks in the post. Absolutely, and there it is. <laughs> Just got it. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I've been Kenneth Beep, and with me was Mike Maley. So uh, say goodbye, buddy. Bye, bye, buddy.